This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtCloud. ArtCloud's comprehensive management to marketing tools help galleries compete in the digital age. With limited resources, galleries often struggle to maintain their online presence. But ArtCloud solves this problem and empowers galleries to build and maintain robust digital marketing routines. From email marketing to integrated websites, ArtCloud's all-in-one platform gives you the tools you need to grow your business. For example, when you input new inventory, ArtCloud makes it easy to send out beautiful new arrival emails to all the followers of that artist. A 2019 study showed that the average gallery that upgraded to ArtCloud increased their sales 30% within the first six months. Wow, 30% within the first six months. To learn more and receive a free demo, you can visit artcloud.com slash four galleries. That's A-R-T-C-L-D dot com slash F-O-R-G-A-L-L-E-R-I-E-S or email support at artcloud.com. That's at A-R-T-C-L-D dot com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. This week's episode is an annual tradition we have on the podcast where we chat with Mark Rappelt, editor-in-chief of Art Review and Art Review Asia, to review their recently published Power 100 ranking, which lists the year's most influential people in the contemporary art world. Not only is it a lot of fun to dissect the list with Mark and see who's climbed, who's fallen, who's the top spot, who's a new entrant, who's fallen off the list entirely, but it's also really informative to learn about some names that maybe aren't in the headlines, but they have a significant amount of influence in the contemporary art world. And also, I think we need to consider the fact that the contemporary art world really is a global thing at this point. They don't just look at U.S. and Europe and even Asia. They look all around the world at who's influencing different aspects of the contemporary art world. So it's a really insightful list, and we always learn a few names that we hadn't heard, and it's just a fun time. So hope you enjoyed the episode with Mark. Mark, it's always great having you on. Thanks for having me, Adam. So before we dig into the list, which I'm very excited to do, for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the Power 100, tell us about the idea as well as the history of the list. Sure. So the list began in 2002, and the idea was really to list the kind of various interests, um, networks of people and networks of ideas that made... um, one type of contemporary art comes to the foreground and another type recede into the background. So on the one hand, it's why do some artists get shows in major institutions rather than others? And on the other hand, it's what kind of ideas are starting to dominate the discourse in art. And the list itself is put together by a um, committee of people around 20 this year. It's grown a lot since the beginning as the kind of global art world has sort of also grown. And they each report on who's influential within their part of the world. And they do that, broadly speaking, along three categories. One is that the people they talk about have to have actually done something in the last 12 months. Um, That's so Bruce Nowen isn't always number one, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second uh, uh, kind of criteria is that the person has to be influential on an international rather than just a local level. Um, so that might mean a debate occurs about what it means to be the most powerful person in New York versus the most powerful 
person in, say, Beijing. And then the third uh, criteria is that the person uh, being nominated for the list um, also affects the kind of art that's being produced today. And maybe that's perhaps the most strongest criteria of the three. And then, so everyone proposes these things from their regions, and then there's a big kind of fist fight about what it means to be relevant in one place or another. Because I think, interestingly, over the years, the idea that any single individual is super important everywhere is becoming more and more questionable. So the early years of the list, when people like Charles Saatchi, Damien Hirst, uh, Francois Pino were regularly in the number one slot, and now it goes into um, a kind of those were always pretty much obvious or agreed unanimously. And I think now for the last four or five years, there's never been anyone who's been a unanimous vote by the committee. So I think that's made it more intriguing as time goes on and more difficult to do. So taking a look at this year's list, you have Glenn Lowry, who's the director of the Museum of Modern Art in New York, at the top of your list. Why is he deserving of the number one spot this year? Um, I think, it, ironically, in a way, given that he's, you know, um, a white man of a certain age in a certain place that generally seems to be one of, these days, the traditional capitals of contemporary art, um, it was because of the way that the MoMA's relaunch has explored um, the idea of multiple or alternative art histories and tried to represent, um, I guess, sort of different um, ethnicities and backgrounds within the story of art. So really for kind of expanding this, or making an attempt to expand this narrative of art and to make it more diverse and less monolithic. Um, and I think um, that's had kind of a big um, impact in the West, certainly, um, and is a sign of maybe what's to come. Yeah, that's really well said. And I had an opportunity to visit MoMA shortly after it reopened, and I thought they did an incredible job showcasing some of the art in their collection that just previously wasn't on view. A lot of female artists, a lot of minority artists, and it just worked really well. Um, and I think just made the museum stronger, just seeing all of this art on view. Another aspect of your list that I really like is that you don't just list out the 100 individuals, you also show their history with your Power 100. So we can see if they've been on the list every year. We can see what they were last year. Have they gone up? Have they gone down? And one key thing is we can see the new entrants on the list, which I'm always paying attention to. I'm always trying to learn about individuals who are having a lot of influence in the contemporary art world. So tell us about one or two of the new entrants on the list this year that were the most influential in 2019? So actually, it's a pair of individuals, Falwin Saar, who's Senegalese, and Benedict Savoy, who's French. And they're economists and art historians. And uh, they were asked by President Macron of France to um, look at the um, kind of uh, restitution possibilities um, in the French national collections and to look at how art, uh, items had entered there and you know, report on things that maybe entered the collection through theft, looting, or trickery, or forced consent, and propose how the collections might respond to this. Um, it's an unusual one for the Power 100 list in a way because the object of their study was really um, historic art, much more than contemporary art. But I think this idea of ownership, whether it's sort of moral or um, economic, is something that's really impacting um, through contemporary art today. And I think um, the kind of aftershocks of um, their intervention are being felt throughout art through all the periods. And I think this has become a discourse that's increasingly 
important in art. And it would also relate, I guess, to some of the things that MoMA is trying to do with its collection or some of the different stories it's trying to tell. But their intervention, I think, is quite a radical one. Um, so uh, it's one that's being felt through the world, through the British Museum, through the German National Collections, um, and it will continue to rumble through. And the other next fascinating entry um, at number 10 is Rangrupa, who are an Indonesian artist collective based in Jakarta. Um, and apart from the fact that they kind of symbolize this sort of interest currently in collective or distributed practice, which I think we saw echoes of in what happened with the Turner Prize this year, with the artists coming together as a collective to avoid the idea that any one single one of them should win the award, um, is sort of very much speaking to the times. Rangrupa are also going to be curating the 2022 edition of Documenta, which is probably, maybe arguably, the most important contemporary art show uh, in the current calendar. Um, and I think the idea first that artists are doing the curating is symptomatic of the times and also the collective exploring networks from places more generally off the kind of traditional art world circuit, uh, sort of finding a voice made them very important, I think. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that shows what you touched on previously. There really are a lot of individuals in the global contemporary art world that are having significant influence but they aren't necessarily in the U.S. or Europe or in the headlines very often. Yeah, and I think in a way, if you look at the sort of art world as a pond, it's like stones being dropped in different places. The ripples are affecting the more traditional places too. And I think underlining some of the arguments as well. I think one of the interesting things in the list this year is the extent to which it's about uh, issues that have traditionally happened and affected the real world, as it were, the world beyond gallery walls suddenly becoming increasingly important within gallery walls. And we could sort of say that's something that also occurs with someone like Nan Golding and her campaign against pharma companies, Sackler in particular, is becoming something that just doesn't happen just to people who have become hooked on these drugs, but also becomes an issue for how institutions are funded, the very structure and fabric of arts institutions as well. And I think what's really interesting this year is the way that all these current debates that would seem before to have been happening outside in the streets maybe are increasingly becoming something that uh, arts institutions have to take notice of. I'd say Hito style, for instance, would be similar in that regard. And when you and your colleagues were compiling the list and editing it and getting it into its final version, what kind of trends emerged? Were there certain movements or areas of the art world that were quite influential over the past 12 months? I mean, I think like following on what I just said, I think those First of all, the sort of relationship between what happens in a gallery and what happens outside a gallery has become much tighter and uh, closely aligned. And it's not possible to sort of ignore a protest in the streets and merely look at the protest as represented. In an artwork in a gallery, I think the negotiation between those two things um, has become much tighter. I think also we're seeing a situation in which... Um, the kind of old power centers of art are becoming increasingly less powerful um, or reacting to things around the world, perhaps for the same reason because of the relationship to what's actually happening in cities, what's happening uh, in countries and political forces and moral questions that maybe didn't seem to involve art before, um, that art could be above, um, are now becoming more and more important. So, for instance, I mean, you could take art fair as an example. Um, I think it's no longer enough that an art fair just says we sold really well. Um, 
I think that's not so interesting for artists. It's not so interesting for collectors. I think they also have to sort of um, realign themselves to have some sort of commentary. You see increasingly a lot of socially aware art being shown at art fairs, which a lot of the time would have seemed absolutely bizarre and perhaps inappropriate, uh, given that they're kind of big marketplaces in a way. But I think even those spaces are having to pay attention now to sort of how art relates to society in general. And I think that's something we're going to see increasing. And not always for the good, I think. Who would you say are a few of the biggest surprises on this year's list? Maybe they're known, maybe they're not known, but people wouldn't have expected to see them on the Art Review Power 100, but they're there because they were influential. And I think it's probably interesting to talk about Banksy, who's quite high on the list. Um, it's the second time he's been on it, I think. Um, and But generally isn't a part of the kind of high art discourse. Um, and I think this sort of, again, this kind of... Uh, Rise as someone who's kind of popular in a very real sense, not just popular in the art world, but popular with a general audience and works in the context of their context, the streets, let's say. Um, that inclusion, I think, surprised a lot of people because I think traditionally that's not been what high art's been about. I think um, things like Decolonize This Place, which I guess is in one aspect um, very much a New York phenomenon, but tracking back into what we were talking about earlier in terms of uh, museums really rethinking, institutions really rethinking their attitude towards um, history and the realities of how works end up in collections, um, I think is super important and kind of reflected by others further down the list. Um, I think those are kind of the key ones that people wouldn't necessarily be so aware of. I mean, you can always say that collectors are people that um, the general art public isn't that aware of because often they work in the background. Um, but I think with most of the rest of them, they're relatively well-known. There's not so many kind of radically new entries outside of the top 10 ones I mentioned. So we've been talking about the most influential people in the art world. I'm curious, if you take a look at the past few years of your list, what position would you say in the contemporary art world is actually losing influence for one reason or another? I mean, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think the kind of idea of what an art fair is, is sort of moving away from the traditional model. And we can see that Art Basel, which is one of the biggest art fair operations, are already trying to expand into conferences, um, ideas for helping advise on infrastructure within the art world in, in various territories around the world. I think that model is slowly changing, or perhaps even more rapidly now. I think the notion of what an art institution is, is changing very quickly in terms of its social responsibility. So a responsibility to the society in which it exists as much as to the artworks that it houses. And I think that balance between those two things is rapidly changing as well. And I think also that artists uh, working through networks of influence is something that we're seeing increasingly, so not just through their gallery or through the institution, um, but through conversations with other artists, uh, being in dialogue through exhibitions or through just correspondence is something that's changing as well. Mark, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast. We always love this annual tradition of having you on each December to help us digest your Power 100 list. And if any of our listeners haven't checked it out yet, where's the best place they can find it? Um, the easiest way is to go through um, the Art Review website, which is artreview.com, and there you'll find a link to the list and uh, some further information about it. Perfect. Thanks again, Mark. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. 
Thanks so much to ArtCloud for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. ArtCloud's comprehensive management to marketing tools help galleries compete in the digital age. With limited resources, galleries often struggle to maintain their online presence, but ArtCloud solves this problem and actually empowers galleries to build and maintain robust digital marketing routines. Whether we're talking about email marketing or integrated websites, ArtCloud's all-in-one platform gives you the tools you need to grow your business. Here's an example. When you input new inventory, ArtCloud actually makes it easy to send out a beautiful new arrival email to all of the followers of that artist. A 2019 study showed that the average gallery that upgraded to ArtCloud increased sales 30% within half a year. That's right, they increased sales 30% within the first six months. To learn more and receive a free demo, you can visit artcloud.com slash four galleries. That's A-R-T-C-L-D.com slash F-O-R-G-A-L-L-E-R-I-E-S. Or you can email support at artcloud.com. That's support at A-R-T-C-L-D.com.